Blog Talk Radio. Warning. You have entered the realm of the gods. So give us your mind and your full attention. So you say you deal with esoteric information? I never heard of such. Well, you're in for a treat. So you claim to be a god? Damn right I'm a god. The maker, the owner, cream of the planet Earth, father of civilization, god of the universe. Wow, I didn't know that. 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 So tune in or lose, friend. All strategies apply mathematically. The information he drop is real powerful. So get your notepad, it's more than an hour full. Watch your jaw, the crew with watch us talk. Indigenous to the land, wherever we stand. First world order, we bring it at home in the first quarter. Invisible lines don't apply, we cross borders. Silly rabbit, knowledge for gods. No matter where you resign, Mars, Temple of Mars. So don't fret or proceed with hesitation. Just tune in to Blog Talk to get the information. Peace.
Peace family. This is Brother Fahim Richard L. again. I'm filling in for Dr. Aleem L. Bay for the night. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry for the last, for, the, uh, for my absence from the show last week. I know we got a little confused on who was supposed to do the blog talk show, but uh, we got it together, got it straightened out. So I'm in, uh, so I'm awful sorry, and I hope you accept my apology uh, for not being on the show last week. It's just a, uh, a little misunderstanding. So, okay, but I'm here tonight, and I'm here to touch you on a certain topic for tonight. I uh, hope everything is all right with you and yours and your family and all across the world. Okay, all right. Our topic on me tonight is uh, dealing with Moors, the Civil War, and why did Moors fight in the war and slavery? Okay. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, the reason why I want to touch on this subject tonight for is a lot of uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings and uh, misleading information as well on the so-called Civil War, why it was fought, uh, who started what, you know, the reason why uh, things turned out the way it did uh, before, during, and after the Civil War, and things dealing with, of course, us as Moors or as an Aboriginal indigenous autochthonous people of this land. Uh, a lot of, like, we all know those who are listening tonight and those who know, uh, for those who don't know, that the uh, history has been so misscrewed and so confused and twisted, you know, to suit the agenda of the ruling elite, the people who are running things now, to suit their agenda. You know, we uh, those who know, know this as well as I do, probably before I did, before I uh, started start to get involved in consciousness and especially in the Moorish Divine National Movement. Uh, yes, uh, so I'm getting on, to, uh, I'm going to read, read this part here to you all. Uh, well, before I start reading, I want to uh I mentioned other things too about the uh, Civil War, Morris, and slavery. A lot of us know that a lot of us fought on the side of the uh, Union States of America uh, to on a what you call a noble or noble uh, venture or reason was noble to fight against slavery, you know, to fight against uh, the South and everything like that. Very few people know that the slavery, uh, the the Civil War, or as some may say, the War of the Rebellion, uh, which it was known at that time. Uh, It didn't come to the uh, the Civil War in history books. So, but very few people know that uh, the Civil War was fought for many reasons, uh, economic reasons, uh, mainly for the sovereign, the sovereign rights 
a southern a state that was in the south. It wasn't just it wasn't about slavery. It's about you know who taking over or over what who's got you know, and that's what it was about. It wasn't about slavery. It wasn't about uh, it was about economics. I can tell you that, and it's about sovereign rights and sovereign rights of certain citizens of each state in the South. How many people know what I wonder, wonder, and I know I've asked this question on several blog talk shows before in the past. I don't know if those who remember uh, the blog talk shows I've done on the subject. Um, How many of you know that uh, when the Civil War was declared, How many of you know, I wish I had a keyboard where I can uh, punch people in, but I still don't have one. So, but um, I wonder how many of you know, i tell you this, how many of you know that the Civil War was never declared? How many of you know this? It was never declared. Abraham Lincoln never went to Congress for a declaration of war against the South. All what happened was a cannon was fired at Fort Sumter in 1861. In 1861 by a Confederate captain uh, I think he was the father of Jesse James. I forget his name. It was fired. It was ordered by Captain uh, Jesse James' father. I mean, by Jesse James' father, which he was a captain Confederate in the army at that time. It was fired on Fort Sumter. That's when they actually started fighting. But the Civil War was never declared. It was an undeclared war. Because, see, Abraham Lincoln never went to Congress for a declaration. I say again, Abraham Lincoln never went to Congress for a declaration of war against the South. Of course he didn't. How are you going to declare war against your own nation? Or, or I can put it this way. How are you going to declare a war against, uh, you say, another company in the same nation or country? Which the Confederate uh, States of America was the Virginia Company, and the Union Northern States was uh, the the New England Company. They were both companies at that time, and the Southern States were killing the Northern industrialists in economic economics. That's a fact. But the main reason, though. The main reason the South wanted uh, to go to war with the South, I mean the North wanted to go to war with the South, is because most of their, or all of their states were sovereign. And a lot of them involved Moors. Moors own a lot of land in the South. They own slaves. They own Yes, they did own our own uh, Asiatic people, but they also own European people as well. 
This is what that's what a lot of people don't really don't want to talk about. They don't want that out. They don't want that out that we once enslaved so-called white people. But they'll tell you quick that we enslaved our own. They'll tell you quick about that. Some of you still having a hard time dealing with that. Uh, some of you said uh, there is no evidence of that. Oh, I, I can assure you it's been recorded. It's been recorded also that uh, so-called black people own land in the South, a lot of land, because at one time so-called black people ruled the South, believe it or not. It is up to you whether you want to believe that or not. It's up to you whether you want to take that account as factual history or false history. You can take it or leave it. But I'm here to give you the facts as I know it. As I studied, read, read books, studied different documents, talked to different people, get on YouTube, on the Internet, did research. And there's nothing like research, doing your own research, believe me. Because if you don't believe me, what I'm telling you tonight, do your own research. Go ahead and seek and find. And, you know, make up your mind for yourself. Whether this is, this is factual history or not. I'm going to read here uh, from this page. It's called Sovereign Voting Rights. It has here in the picture with the canon law and ordinance of the Union States Society, U.S. of a as Romans getting ready to fire. Okay, it says here, the Union States ordinances are designed and used to maintain the economic and social oppression, servitude, and control over the descendants of the defeated Moors through fraudulent acts. Rules and regulations and laws compel taxation, all this without lawful representation. The defeated and branded Moors have never been allowed to exercise their sovereign rights or have mutual participation in the Union States government. Why? Because the Moors are not and cannot be citizens in the Union States, and the Union States colonists' sovereign claims is a fiction. The states are foreign corporation appendages not the land. The only true and de jure natural citizens are the indigenous Moors. The Moors are we the people of the land. The state colonists are alien usurpers and should never be viewed as anyone or anything other than just that, foreign thieves. They unlawfully occupy the Moors provinces commonly known as the Americas or Almorocks. The passage of time will never change this fact, 
the natural law and sovereign power of the defeated Moors, branded Negro, black, colored, etc., has always been suppressed through and by the the colony states using coercion and force, even with the blind, with the blindly respected Voting Rights Act. Fraud is the fact. There is no such thing as a voting rights for any non-union citizens. Voting in the United States society for anyone other than the European Albion male is only by limited privilege. Voting rights acts can never be law in the United States of America and cannot be backed by constitutional law. Voting rights apply seven precipitation on the part of the subjugated Moors. The Voting Act was actually based on the 14th Amendment, but never was properly ratified. As I spoke many times before in previous blog talk shows. Okay? That's just one little part I just read to you. Let me get on here. The thing about slavery. How many people know the true history of slavery? Not only just in the South, but all over the world. How many people know? Was it just so-called black people that were slaves, or there were all people of other nationalities that were slaves at one time? If you did your research, if you did your research real hard, you would find out that at one time all nationalities and ethnicities were slaves at one time. The word slave is actually related to the, to the European or Eastern European Slavic people, known as Slav, not our people, in case those you didn't know. We were known at that time as prisoners of war. I'm going to read you something from here, a call from the story of the Moors after Spain. Also deals with slavery. Okay. The dispatch shows that the Corsairs, Moors, had speedily mastered the new manner of navigation. As might have been expected of a nation of sailors, they had long been acquainted with the great galaxy of Spain and Venus as sort of a compromise between the road galley and the sailing galleon, for it was too heavy to depend wholly on its oars, which by the way of distinction were, were rowed under cover, and its great lightning uh, sails were generally its motive power. The galleys themselves, moreover, had sails through not square sails, and the seamen who can sail a ship on Latin on Latin sails soon learns the management of the square of the square rig. Now I'm gonna read you the one the page I'll tend to read. Okay, here it is. It was a piteous 
site. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'll go back to here. Sorry. Okay, in, in 1627, Marad, a German renegade, took three Algerine ships as far north of Denmark and Iceland, whence he carried off 400, some 8,800 captives. And not to be outdone, his name namesake, Marad Ritz, a Fleming, in 1631, ravaged the English coasts and, passing over to Ireland, descended upon Baltimore, sacked the town, and bore away 237 prisoners, men, women, and children, even from the cradle. You hear what, you just, what I just said? Even from the cradle, talking about babies. Haven't been quite dead born yet. Okay, let me move on. It says here, it was a piteous sight to see foes for sale at Algiers. Cries, good Father Dan. For then they parted the wife from the husband and the father from the child. Then say I, they sail, the husband here and the wife there, tearing them from her arms, the daughter whom she cannot hope to see ever again. Many bystanders burst into tears as they saw the grief and despair of these poor Irish. Hmm. Hmm. Of these poor Irish people. I'm talking about Europeans now. I'm not talking about Asiatic people. I'm not talking about Moors. The, the, these, these were done by the Corsairs. The Corsairs were Moors. If you want to know, the Barbary Corsairs, as they sometimes were called. Okay. As below, as before, but with better confidence, they pursued their favorite course in the Levant and cruised across the Egyptian trade route, route where where are to be caught ships laden with the uh, the byproducts of Cairo, Sands, and Bombay, and laid to the back of Cyprus to snare the Syrian and Persian goods that sailed from Scandurin and. On so home with the pleasant raid along the Italian coast. Now they start raiding the Italian coasts, touching perhaps at an island or two to pick up slaves and booty, and thus to the mole of Algiers and the welcome of their mates. In spite of all the ships of Christendom. Yep. Okay. Says here, but in 1634, Father Dan found 20,000 Christian slaves in the city of Algiers and roundabout without counting 8,000 renegades and so far as, as was the fleet from being diminished except that there were few galleys. Now you're talking about he has found 25,000 Christian slaves now, when he said Christian slaves, who do you think he's talking about? Who do you think he's talking about? They were talking about Europeans, because at that time, 
you uh, Christianity was all about Christian was always synonymous with European people. If you didn't know it or not, I know there are some of you that do know. Okay. So far, but the fleet from being diminished, except thenceforth for galleys and the priests reckon no less than 70 sailing cruisers from large 35 and 40 gunships to ordinary gallons and peyokas. And on August 7, he himself saw 28 of the best of, the, of, of them sail away in the quest of Norman and English ships, which usually come to Spain. At that season, to take in wine and oil and spices, he added that the Tunis had been 14 palicos. So sailed 30 very swift caravels, drawing little water on account of the harbor. So altogether, the whole Barbary fleet, Moors, numbered 120 sailing ships, besides about 25 galleys and brigantines. Says here, Father Dan draws a miserable picture of the captive's life ashore. Nothing, of course, could equal the torment of the galley slaves, but the wretchedness of the shore slaves was bad enough. When they were landed, they were driven to the Bassatine or slave market, where they were put auction, like the cattle, which were also sold them walked up and down by the auctioner to show off their paces and beaten if they were lazy or weary or seemed to sham. These are European slaves I'm talking about. Getting dogged out. Okay? And the reason why I'm bringing this up, these are for you that don't think that, you know, uh, it was all about us being slaves and, you know, and we were so innocent, you know, we were, uh, we were, we were victims, you know, because a lot of us love to play the victim role, love to play that victim role. We need to stop playing that victim role and start being responsible and start holding responsibility for ourselves and stop playing that victim role and start uh, getting with other boys so we can build a nation. Okay. The purchasers were often speculators, and uh, who attempted to sell again, brought off the, for the rise. In fact, and Christians, Europeans, are cheap today, was a business quotation, just as though they had been stocks and shares. The prettiest women were generally shipped to Constantinople for the sultan's choice. The Sultan's choice. The Sultan. You, the studious in your Moorish history and Moorish culture, you know what a Sultan is. A Sultan is a Moor. A Sultan holds a certain rank among the ranks of the Moors. This we know, don't we, Moors? Now I'm going to read this again. The prettiest women were generally shipped to the Constantinople for the Sultan's choice. 
Constantinople, I believe, today is known as Istanbul, Turkey. As you know, the Turks today, the Turkish people today, uh, they are bleached out Moors, but uh, but they are known as Tony Moors. Most of them probably don't even know that. But they are. And a lot of them will tell you, uh, don't even, uh, they even resent the word European. Consider themselves European. I talked to one before. She don't even consider herself European or white. Why? Because they are Tony Moors. Okay, I'm a, okay. The rest were heavily chained and cast into vile dungeons and private houses till their work was allotted them or into the large prisons or bigginos, of which they were then six in Algiers, each containing a number of cells in which fifteen or sixteen slaves were confined. Every rank and quality of both sexes, of both sexes, might be seen in these wretched dens, gentle and simplest, simplest priest and late and lag merchant and artisan, lady and pleasant girl and peasant girl, some hopeful of ransom, others despairing ever to be free again. The old and the feeble were set to sail water. Laden with chains, they led a donkey about the streets and dulled out water from the skin upon his back. And an evil day it was when the poor captive did not bring home to his master the stipulated sum. Others took the bread to the bakehouse and fetched it back in haste for the Moors. For the Moors love hot loaves. Meaning, anything they earned or anything they did, anything they were able to, uh, you know, to get, they turned over to the Moors. Some cleaned the house, since Mohammedans detest dirt, wiped the walls, washed the clothes, and minded the children. Others took the fruit to market, tended the cattle, or labored in the fields, sometimes sharing the yoke of the plow with a beast of burden. <laughs> Worst of all was the sore labor of quarrying stone for building and carrying it down from the mountain to the shore. They, if, if, are they dogging these people out or are they not? You answer that for yourself. Doubtless, doubtless, Father Dan made the worst of the misery he saw. It was not to the interest of the owners and to injure their slaves who might be ransomed or resold, and at any rate were more viable in health than in weakness and disease. The worst part of captivity was not the physical toil and blows, but the mental care, the despair of release, the crunking cake of proud hearts as to the slave as to slave for ta- for uh, taskmasters, cruelty there cruelty there certainly was, and even so staunch an apologist for the Moors as Joseph Morgan admits that, it, but it cannot, but it can hardly have been ruled. And the report of another French priest who visited Algiers and other parts of Barbary 
in 1719 does not bear out Dan's statement, nor is there any reason to believe. They say there's a belief of the doubts that they have. Okay, where were it treated? In 1634, then in 1719, the later report with some Morgan's uh, comments may be summarized thus. The slaves of Algiers are not indeed so unhappy and those in the hands of the mountain moors. I'm just putting things out there to see that you know that these are, you know, I mean, you had some people say that slave wasn't slavery wasn't that bad on either side, you know, but slavery is slavery. Whatever how you know you want to put it, you take for instance uh, what you call European slaves and indentured slaves. You know, a lot of them, some of them had signed contracts. You know, because when you sign a contract at that time, when you sign a contract, you agree for them to do anything they want to do to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. The Britain slave, Britain, uh, the slave trade, which mainly from England, where they sold off a lot of their people from England, Ireland, Welsh, and Scotland. Hundreds of thousands of families. See us here. Drawn up in the bowl, one in eight is chosen by the day, by D-E-Y, by the day. So that's a Moorish term. That's a Moorish title. That's a Moorish surname. That's a noble name for the Moors. I'm going to say it again. Drawn up in the bowl, one in eight is chosen by the day for his own share. And he naturally selects the best workmen and the surgeons and ship's masters who are at once sent to the government. Okay. These are the these the rest are to be divided equally between the owners and the equipage and are taken to the Bessestan and marched up and down by our auctioners to the time of their merits and calling and calling till the highest bid is reached. This is however a merely formal advance for the final sale must take place at the day's palace. D-E-Y, at the day's palace. Talking about another more, okay? Whether the captives and their would-be purchasers now resort. Those of you that have been nationalized or that study a lot of things about Moore's culture and history and tradition know that El, Bey, Day, Al, and Ali, those are noble names, those are more noble names and titles. So you know what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm explaining this so those who don't know. It says here, the second auction always realizes a much higher sum than the first, but the owners and equipage are only permitted to share the former price, while by a beautiful, simple process, the whole difference between the first and second sales go absolutely to the government. Hmm. It says here. <clears throat> said news was then brought that the galleys of Malta had captured 
the Capitana, or flagship of Algiers, with 650 Turks and Moors aboard. Goes to show you that we did a slave own. Okay? Besides, Christian slaves, there we go again, Europeans, to say nothing, killed and wounded, whereupon furiously incensed the day. Okay? Okay? Aboard again, sent the imprisoned knights to the castle dungeon and loaded them with chains weighing 120 pounds. And there they remain cramped with irons in a protruded cavern, swimming with rats, swarming with rats and other vermin. This is what's been going on. Said they could hear the people passing in the streets without, and they claimed. They clanked their chains, and so by by they might be heard, but none answered. At last, their condition came to the ears of the French consul, who threatened like penalties to Turkish prisoners in Malta unless the knights were removed. And the day on the lightning, their chains by half and put them on in a better room. They were, but but there were these. There were an unhappy gentleman remained for eight long years, more save only at the great festivals of the church, when they were set free to join the religious rites of the French consulate, and once by formed a strange and feature in the wedding festivals in the consul, when they asked, when they assumed their perukes and court dresses for the nouns, only to be exchanged again with the badge of servitude whom the joyful moment of liberty was over their treatment grew worse as time wore on they were made even to drag trucks of stone these knights of an heroic order and hopeless of obtaining so large a sum as early as 40 well equivalent to $40,000 at that time which was demanded their demanded their ransom they managed to file their chains and escape to the shore. These were these were done. Okay, they're talking about put on the show for certain people from the church, the showing that they were treated right. But as soon as they leave, they will dog them out again. You know, this is what was going on. And these were cap these were some captured knights of Malta. Those of you who study history, uh the European history, well, British is not European history because a lot of our history is so steeped in European history. And I advise a lot of you brothers and sisters to study European history. You really, really, really need to study it. Because there's a lot of our history in there. All over Poland, Russia, Germany, especially Germany, France, you know, Holland, Belgium, Italy, Spain, even Sicily, because Sicily was one time called Moorish Sicily at one time. That's why they are so dark. We go on. We go on here. Much to his credit, these were uh, this worthy Muslim used his vast spiritual influence for their protectors, and the day spared their lives. At last, by the joint efforts of the France and 
and the captives. I'm going to stop right here. See, you had some Moors that were benevolent. Now, I'm not going to say all Moors at that time were uh, were non-benevolent people. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. So don't, don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm not, you know, nowhere, no form of uh, fashion trying to, um, what you say, trying to make light of European people, because I'm not. But all I'm trying to put out is here, brother, we are not, we were not innocent. This is what mainly what this topic is about. Okay, let me move along here. Okay, it says here, he was, a, he was an ace of execution, thanks to his own chivalry, and was kept for five months in the Moors' Bagnio under strict watch. Though without blows, no one ever struck him during the whole of his captivity. Though he often stood in expectation of impalement or some such horrible death. Says here, slavery in private houses, shops, and farms was tolerable or intolerable according to the character and disposition of the master and of the slaves. Some were treated as members of the family, save in save the liberty as in the natural inclination of Muslims toward the slaves of their own religion. Like I said before, all of our people were not were not barbaric. You know, they were not, and that's not what I'm trying to put out here. This is this is this is this, uh, this is the evidence right here. That they treated some as a part of their family. Okay? Others, now, here's the bad part. Others were cursed and beaten, justly or unjustly, and lived a dog's life. Okay? This is just some, some of the things I've read from the, the story of the Moors after Spain. Um, I just want to know you to ponder on that and take my advice to please do a lot of studying on history, European history as well as African history, as well as other history, but all of it, study world history. That's number one, study world history. Because we were all over the world. And we rule the world at one time. Okay, I'm going to move along here. Now here we come to the subject. <clears throat> I'm reading from the book called Boars in America, a compilation by Sister Chashida S. Naji Ulael and Brother Victor Taylor L. 
okay? And you ought to get this book. It's called Moors in America. And I say again, the author's name is Sister Tashida S. Najee Ulael and Brother Victor Taylor L. <clears throat> Very good book. Informative. Okay. It says here, Blacks, Moors, in the Confederacy. Facts about Confederate Blacks. Black Confederate Fact Sheet. Okay. Says here, since the attachments give give some people trouble, I am again posting my black Confederate facts sheet, but this time it is the body of the message. Please renew this and let and let us uh, let me know if there are any glaring errors. I plan to distribute this next month and all the black Yankee adoration is at, at fault uh, well, at full force. Okay. Black Confederate, we have uh why haven't we heard more about about them? National Park Service historians, Ed, why haven't we, uh, Ed Baird started? I don't want to call it a conspiracy to ignore the role of blacks, both above, both above and below the Mason-Dixon line. But it was definitely a tendency to begin around 1910. Historians Edwin L. Jordan, Jr. call it a cover-up, which started back in 1865. He writes, during my research, I came across instances where black men stated that they were soldiers, but you can but you can plainly see where where a soldier is crossed out and body servant inserted or teamster or pension applications. Another black historian, Roland Young, says he is not surprised that blacks fought. He explained that as much as not, most black Southerners would support their country and that they, by doing so, they were dem- uh, demonstrating it a possible to hate the system of slavery and love one's country. This is the very same reaction that most so-called African Americans showed during the American Revolution where they fought for the colonies, even though the British offered them freedom if they fought for them. Well, you did have more fighting for the British. Okay. It has been estimated that over 65,000 southern so-called blacks were in the Confederate ranks. Over 13,000 of them, or of these, saw the elephant also known as nesting the enemy in combat. These so-called black confederates included both slaves and free. I'm going to say this again. These black confederates included both slaves and free because all Asiatic people in the South were not slaves. 
never were slaves. The same as Europeans. Although the first slaves that came to this uh, to these lands or the Almorocks or the Americas were Europeans, believe it or not. They say fact or fiction. You, you you do the math, okay? Let me move along here. The Confederate Congress did not approve so-called blacks to be officially enlisted as soldiers, except as musicians, until late in the war. But the ranks, but in the ranks, it was a, a different story. Many Confederate officers did not obey the mandates of politicians. They frequently enlisted so-called black men with the simple criteria, will you fight? Historian Urban Jordan explains that the biracial units were frequently organized by local Confederate and state militia commanders in response to immediate threats in the form of Union Raids. Okay. Dr. Leonard Raines, a so-called African-American professor at at Southern University, stated, when you eliminate the so-called black Confederate soldier, you will eliminate, you have eliminated the history of the South. Says here, number one, the Richmond Howitzers, were partially manned by so-called black militiamen, the Richmond Howitzer. Now, some of you don't know what a Howitzer is. The Howitzer is a cannon that shoots bombs. Okay, some of you that have never been in the military are not familiar with these terms. So this is why I'm explaining it to you, you know. All right, let me move along here. Let me read this again. The Richmond dealing with Richmond, Virginia, the Richmond Howitzers were partially manned by so-called black militiamen. They saw action at First Manassas, or would you say the First Battle of Bull Run? Those of you who know about the Civil War uh, know what the Battle of Bull Run was, okay, where they operated Battery Number 2. Battery Number 2, a battery is what you call a group of cannons. Soldiers, uh, Found a group of cannons, battery number two, battery number one, battery number 15. Those are a group of cannoneers that's firing artillery at the enemy or shooting bombs at the enemy. Okay? I know some of you have seen movies uh, dealing with uh, the Civil War and other things like that, and so you probably know what I'm talking about. Okay? Let me move along here. Number two, in addition to so-called black regiments, one free and one slave participated in the battle on behalf of the South. I'm going to read this again. In addition to black regiments, one free and one slave participated in the battle on behalf of the South. You had the Moors that were slaves and you had Moors that were free. Let me move it. Let me get them going in further now. 
many colored people were killed in the action in action recorded from John Parker, a former slave, free so-called black musician, cooks, soldiers, and teamsters earned the same pay as so-called white Confederate privates, believe it or not. This was not the case in the Union Army, where so-called black men did not receive equal pay. And that's true. That's also recorded. They didn't receive... Uh, they were fighting on the Union for the Union States, but they didn't receive equal pay. They didn't receive for us equipment, uh, clothing, uh, footwear, a lot of stuff. Some of that was, I believe, was uh, they dropped some of that in the movie um, Glory with Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman. I don't know how many of you saw that movie, but they showed you that in the movie. So you know that's recorded history. Okay, let me move along here. It says here, at least one so-called black confederate was a non-commissioned officer, James Washington, Company D, 34th Texas Cavalry. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to repeat this again. At least one so-called black confederate was a non-commissioned officer, James Washington, Company D, 34th Texas Cavalry, Terrell's Texas Rangers, because it's 3rd Sergeant, Texas Rangers. How many of you know that they were U.S. Marshals uh, before the turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th century? How many of you know that? Deputy Marshals. So Texas Rangers... When they became Texas Rangers, that's not uh, that's, that's not a uh, not a surprise to me, especially when you study history. It'd be a uh, surprise to a lot of people that still don't know. Okay, let me move along. At the Confederate Buffalo Forge in Rockbridge County, Virginia, skill. So-called black workers earn an average three times the wage of so-called white Confederate soldiers and more than most Confederate Army officers, $350 to $600 a year. You can believe it or not. I'm going to say this again. At the Confederate Buffalo Forge in Rockbridge County, Virginia, skilled Black workers earn an average three times the wages of white Confederate soldiers or more than most Confederate armies. Their wages was $350 to $600 a year. That was a lot of money at that time. You're dealing with the 1860s here. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it's recorded history. This is recorded history that I'm reading off to you this night. Like Wrigley said it on TV a long time ago, Wrigley's Believe It or Not. Like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said years ago, you can take it or leave it alone. I don't care what you do with it. But these are the facts that I've learned and the facts that I'm sharing with you tonight. Believe it or not. Okay? 
says here, Dr. Lewis Steiner, Chief Inspector of the United States Sanitary Commission, while observing General Stonewall Jackson's occupation of Frederick, Maryland, in 1862. Over 3,000 so-called Negroes must be included in this number. Confederate troops, they were clad in all kinds of uniforms, not only in cast-off or captured United States uniforms, but in coats with southern buttons, state buttons, etc. These were, they were shabby, but not shabbier or sealer than those worn by so-called white men in the rebel ranks. Most of the Negroes had arms, rifles, muskets, sabers, booby knives, dirks, etc., and were manifestly an integral portion of the Southern Confederate Army. Believe it or not, Frederick Douglass reported, there are at the present moment many colored men in the Confederate Army doing duty not only as cooks, servants, and laborers, but real soldiers having muskets on their shoulders and bullets in their pockets, ready to shoot down any loyal troops and do all that soldiers may do to destroy the federal government and build up that of 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 their belts. Okay, I don't know. The word is kind of messed up, messed up, scratched up, so I can't really, really uh, pronounce what it says here. Okay, it says here, black and white militia men return heavy fire on Union troops at the Battle of Grims, uh, Grims Motorville near Macon, Georgia. Approximately 600 boys and elderly men were killed in this skirmish. In 1864, President Jefferson Davis approved a plan that proposed the emancipation of slaves in return for the official recognition of the Confederacy by Britain and France. France showed interest, but Britain refused. Hmm. Hmm. I want that to rest with y'all, man. The rest with y'all. I'm gonna go on break. And I'll be back in about three or four minutes. All right.
I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I was watching earlier. I was watching on the YouTube about a brother holding Confederate flag, and uh, he was questioned and asking why he was carrying the Confederate flag. He had a Confederate uniform on, also, and uh, he said that he was uh, just carrying on to the traditions uh, of his family's legacy. You know, he said his family were not slaves. And uh, his family had land, lots of land, through the years that they had built, you know, and harvested all through the years until the Civil War. Yeah, this is a brother. I mean, you know, they, they never did give his name, but uh, he was carrying the flag, walking up and down the street, waving it, you know. He said, I'm just taking pride in my family's legacy. That's all, you know. Uh, he uh, At one time on another uh YouTube video, he had a shirt on, uh, I believe he owned a restaurant or whatever, in, somewhere in the South. Uh, he had a shirt with uh, about three, maybe four boys wearing their Confederate uni- uniforms and Confederate flags in the background. And the young brother asked him, you know, what's, what's up, what's up, what, what, why are you wearing that, no, why, why are you doing that, you know? And the older brother told the young brother, he said, well, a lot of our history has been, you know, a lot of people have been misled by history. It's been misscrewed, and it has been uh, mistaught, and people have been lied to big time about the, the Civil War and about the role that Asiatic people played. You know, said, uh, what I'm depicting as I'm talking about free so-called black people. These were free. Some weren't free. Some were slaves. They fought. They believed, believed that would free them. And so did a lot of the European so-called white people, too. How many of you know that there were only between five 
and seven slave owners at the time during the Civil War. How many of you know that? But you have a lot of people, if you just uh, go on YouTube and deal with the Confederate flag issue, you know, you had a lot of uh, Asiatic people uh, saying that, you know, this is our heritage. No, just think about it. If you was coming up during the Civil War, okay, you had land, a lot of land that your family has built over the years, through generations, through generations, through generations. And somebody said they're going to come down there and take your land from you, take away your sovereignty and everything. Because that was what the real, the real reason what the Civil War was about. It was to take away a lot of property and the sovereignty from the Moors. Wrigley's, believe it or not. And that was to do away sovereignty completely. Once you conquered the South, that was the end of sovereignty. I mentioned this before. Uh, when General Robert E. Lee surrendered uh, his Confederate forces to General Grant, the Union State forces, he, he he surrendered unconditionally, which means he 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 surrendered everything over to the Union States of America, or uh, Union States of America, put it that way. Everything. Therefore, he's in even their sovereignty. Not only was uh, a lot of our people were stateless citizens, but although they weren't stateless because they were Aboriginal, Indigenous, and touchless to this land, but you know, a lot of the Europeans became stateless sovereignty. And the reason why I call them title sovereigns because they are not the sovereign. It never can be unless they're aboriginal, indigenous, autonomous to this land. If they want to be sovereign, they have to go back to Europe. And there's nothing, what I'm saying is racially biased against them, anything like that. Not at all. But that's just, that's, that's, that's the fact, Jack. Not out of hatred for them, it's not. I don't waste my energy on hatred. I don't do that. I'm about uplifting fallen humanity. When you talk about falling, lifting fallen humanity, you're not talking about just Moors. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about people in general. But yeah, this is uh let me go on back to this book here. I'm gonna read some of these pages out to you. Okay. It says here the Jackson Battalion included two companies of so called black soldiers. This is the Confederate Army still, okay? They saw combat at Petersburg under Colonel Ship, and this is Colonel Ship, the Southern 
uh, Confederate Colonel talking now. He says about the Moors that fought that they, that he fought up that fought under him. He says here, my men acted with the utmost promptness and goodwill. Allow me to state the state, sir, that they behave in an ordinary, extraordinary, acceptable manner. This was a Confederate, high-ranking Confederate uh, European soldier said about his. Uh, the soldier boys that fought up on them. Okay, let me let me I'm repeat this. I'm gonna repeat this. The Jackson Battalion included two companies of so-called black soldiers. They saw combat at Petersburg. Colonel Ship, my men acted with the utmost promptness and goodwill. Allow me to state, sir, that they behave in an ordinary, acceptable manner. Says here, recently, the National Park Service, with a recent discovery, recognized that so-called blacks were asked to help defend the city of Petersburg, Virginia, and were offered their freedom if they did they did so, regardless of their official classification. So-called black Americans perform support function that is in today's army. Many would be classified as official military service. <coughs> the success the successes of uh, so-called white Confederate troops in battle could only ha- have been achieved with the support these legal so-called black southerners. But they're saying they couldn't warn without these moors. But again, I, I say by myself, me personally, I say maybe it's time for us to start fighting the wars for them and let them fight their own wars. I mean, I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, but here since the revolution, you know, uh, on up to, up to the date, you know, what are we? What are we? Did we ever? Uh, gain from any of those wars. We never, definitely never did uh, gain any real benefits from it. We need to be fighting for our own for our own liberation. For our own freedom. That's what we should be doing. And I mean by doing that not by arms. Not by uh, fiscal or armed aggression. By doing this paperwork and getting nationalized. Programs, you know, among our, I know among our neighborhoods and our communities, get the word out. That's what I'm doing. Getting the word out. I'm doing my doing my part. Getting the word out. Well, you notice I always talk about nationality, so I just just I guess I just had to put that out there. Okay, let me move on here. The Confederate General John B. Gordon, Army, says in parentheses, Army of Northern Virginia, reported that all of his troops were in favor of colored troops and that its adoption would have greatly encouraged the Army. General Lee was anxious. Here it is. 
talking about General Robert E. Lee. Those of you who study history know who I'm talking about. Say it here. Say it again here. General Robert E. Lee was anxious to receive regiments of all so-called black soldiers. The Richmond Sentinel reported on 24th of March, 1864. None will deny that our servants are more worthy of respect than the motley horse which some against us bad faith to so-called black confederates must be avoided as an undeterrable dishonor. In March of 1865, Judah P. Benjamin, Judah P. Benjamin at that time was uh, was the uh, head of the, uh, he was a Jew, a so-called Jew. I, I call them Zionists myself, but they're not actually Jews. But he was a so-called Jew that was head of the United States Treasury at that time. It says there, on March 1865, Judah P. Benjamin, a Confederate Secretary of State, promised freedom for so-called blacks who served from the state of Virginia authority, for this was finally received from the state of Virginia, and on April 1st, 1865, $100 bounties were offered to so-called black soldiers. Benjamin exclaimed, let us pay to every so-called Negro who wants to go into the ranks and go and fight, and you are free to fight for your masters or you share. Have your own freedom and fight for yourselves. Confederate officers were ordered to treat them humanely and protect and protect them from injustice and oppression. Wrigley's Believe It or Not. It's up to you whether you want to believe this or not, boys. I'm just reading from what this book, two more, the sister, you know, uh, from uh, and her brother from California wrote. Okay, they wrote the book. And they've done their own research on the Civil War, on dealing with Moors in the South. And this is what they had come up with. These are all documented records. Okay. So a quota was set for 300,000 so-called black soldiers for the Confederate States colored troops. 838 of, of Richmond's male slaves population volunteered for Dusty. A, a special ball was held in Richmond to raise money for uniforms for these men. I'm going to read this again. I know this is hard to believe, but okay, sisters and brothers. A special ball, ball was held in Richmond to raise money for uniforms for these men. Imagine Southern Europeans throwing a ball to raise money for Asiatic soldiers. <laughs> uh, unbelievable but it's recorded okay before Richmond fell so called black confederates in gray uniforms drilled in the streets due to the war ending it is believed only companies or squads of these troops ever saw any action many more so called black soldiers fought for the north but that difference was simply a difference because the North instituted this progressive policy more sooner than 
more sooner, more conservative, more than the conservative South. So-called black soldiers from uh, both sides receive discrimination from so-called whites who oppose the concept. General <clears throat> Union General U.S. Grant in February, uh, uh, Union General uh, Grant of the United States Army in February 1865 ordered the capture of all the Negro men before the enemy can put them in their ranks. Frederick Douglass warned Lincoln that unless slaves were guaranteed freedom, those in Union control areas were still slaves and land bounties. They would take up arms for the rebels. It says here on April 4, 1865, Amelia County, Virginia, a Confederate supply train was exclusively manned and guarded by so-called black infantry. When attacked by Federal cavalry, they stood their ground and fought off the charge, but on the second charge, they were overwhelmed. These soldiers were believed to be from Major Turner's Confederate command. A so-called black Confederate, George, whatever his name was, when captured by Federals, was bribed to desert to the other side. He defiantly spoke, said, Sir, you want me to desert, and I ain't no deserter. Down south, deserters disgrace their uniform and their families, and I'm never going to do that. Hmm. Former slaves, Horace King, accumulated great wealth as a contractor to the Confederate Navy. He was also an expert engineer and became known as the bridge builder of the Confederacy. This was some more, okay? One of his bridges were, were burned in a Yankee raid. His home was pillaged by Union troops as his wife pleaded for mercy. As of February, February 1865, 1,150 so-called black seamen served in the Confederate Navy. One of these were among the last Confederate to surrender. Aboard the this, uh, Shenandoah, Six months after the war ended, this surrender took place in England. Huh, ain't there something? Nearly 180,000 so-called black citizens from Virginia alone provided logistical, logistical support for the Confederate military. Many were highly skilled workers. These included a wide range of jobs, nurses, military engineers, Teamsters, ordinances department, workers, brakemen, firemen, harness makers, blacksmiths, wagon makers, boatmen, mechanics, wheelwrights, etc. In the the 1920s, Confederate pensions were finally allowed to these workers uh, that were still living. Many thousands more served in other Confederate states. So this is the end of the uh, dealing with the Boers, dealing with the Confederate Army in the South. A lot of this I just read to you, like I said, it was researched by a brother and a sister. And the Boers, uh, uh, they, uh, like, sister, uh, like I said, Ninja, uh, sister Najee Ula L and brother Taylor L, uh, both from the West Coast in California, you know, they've done long and hard all this research 
on this, you know. So, like I said, you know, um, I don't have their numbers or anything. I, I, you know, would have give you their phone numbers for more comment on that. But these are supposed to be facts. Those are people dealing with the South. These were, um, like I said, a lot of them, as, as I just read in the book, a lot of them were not slaves and never were slaves. They were just fighting for what was theirs. I mean, somebody come tell you they're going to come down here and take your land from you? After many generations, the generations that your family have worked for, hard for? You know? What would you do? Would you let them come down and take your land and your property away from you? Or would you fight? Now let that rest with you all that's listening tonight. Now, here we go here. I'm just reading a few things uh, from what they call the book by Michael A. Hoffman II. It's called They Were White and They Were Slaves, The Untold History of Enslavement of Whites in Early America. Now, this is in America. The other part I was talking to you about slavery over there in the Mediterranean, the Barbary Coast. But this is here in America. I'm going to read this off again. The untold history of the enslavement of whites in early America. The author name is Michael A. Hoffman II, if you want to get the book. Uh, for those who don't, you, uh, those of you probably already have the book. I'm not sure. Okay. says here, there are two sorts, first such as were bound over by masters of ships to be sold as servants, such as we call them, my dear, says she, but they are more properly called slaves. This is a history of white people that has never been told in any coherent form, largely because most modern historians have for reasons of politics or psychology refused to recognize so-called white slaves in early America as just that. Today, not a tear is shed for the suffering of millions of own enslaved forefathers of forefathers. 200 years of white slavery in America have been almost completely obliterated from the collective memory of the American people. See, they used to now, okay, they used to bring a lot of so-called, like they said, millions. Like you said, not a tear shared because that's been wiped out from the history books. A, a brother, uh, my, my dear friend, brother uh, Abdullah El Talib Mosi Bay, uh, has, uh, has has stated that. In his uh, video, uh, the Moorish history, 
And he said that they don't want that out, that we once had power over them. Who were the original Americans? Moors. They thought in, the, in history they had you to think that they can just come back and forth, back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean. No, nothing hindering them or nothing like that. Nothing, nobody molested them or nothing like that. But that was not true. That was the, uh, that was a falsehood. That was a blatant lie. They had to pay the Moors tribute payments or else the Moors would seize their ships. And sometimes they would do it anyway. And that's when they seized their ships, they would seize the slaves that were, uh, that were on the ships as well. Some of their own so-called white brethren sold their people to the Moors. They didn't care. Profit was profit. If you watch this program on YouTube, uh, this is a European telling the story. I don't know how true it is or not. You can uh, know determine that for you for yourself. He said that the European slave masters of other European over European slaves used to uh, sell or give a lot of the European women over to the Moor slaves and under the Moors. They wanted to make a third, or what you call a third type of race. And it said it was at an alarming rate, at a high alarming rate. They did that. They did these things to their own women. It wasn't just no, us selling them. No, it was it was it was it was it wasn't really a racial thing. Like I said, I said it, and I say it again. Europeans were the first slaves in the Americas. They were the very first. Let me go on here. Okay, this is a history of so-called white people that has never been told as coherent form, largely because most modern historians have, for reasons of politics or psychology, refused to recognize so-called white slaves in early America as just that. Today, not a tear is shed for the suffering of millions of, uh, of what he said, of their own people enslaved. Forefathers, 200 years of white slavery in America have been almost completely obliterated from the collective memory of the American people. Who wants to be reminded that half, that more than half, perhaps as many as two-thirds of the original uh, European colonists came here, not of their own free will, but kidnapped, shanghaied, impressed, duped, beagled, and yes, in chains? Question mark. We tend to gloss over it. We would prefer to forget the whole story. 
a correct understanding of the authentic history of the enslavement of so-called whites in America could have profound consequences for the future of the races. We cannot be sure, we all, we cannot be sure that the position of the earliest Africans differed markedly from that of the white indentured service. The, the, the debate has considerable significance for the interpretation of race relations in American history. This says here by Eugene D. Genovese. This is the third world slaves, okay? Most of the books on white labor in early America are titled with words like white indentured servitude, white bond servants, white service, etc. It is interesting that white people who were bound to a condition of white, what became, in many cases, permanent chattel slavery and to death are not referred to as slaves by establishment academics. With the massive concentration of educational and media resources on the Negro or so-called Negro experience of slavery, the unspoken assumption has been that only so-called blacks have been enslaved to any degree or magnitude worthy of study or memorial. The historical record reveals that this is not the case. However, so-called white people have been sold as slaves for centuries. Says here, Arabs and the, and the, and the traffic and so-called white slaves. Okay, the trade and white slaves were one of the few sources of foreign exchange for Western European powers in a period when the East produced the goods. The East produced the goods. You're talking about Moors. Here we go again. And that Europeans could not procure elsewhere the sale of white slaves to Asia and and Africa was one of the few sources of gold for European treasures. I'll say this again. The sale of white slaves to Asia and Africa was one of the few sources of gold for European treasures. Now, Africa. At the early part of that slave, slave trade, Europeans didn't have no control nowhere on the African continent. So who was buying these slaves? Who was buying them in Asia and Africa? Who was buying them? Take a big guess. I would say Moors, African Moors, and, and Moors in Asia, and other Asians. Okay, let me move along from the 8th to the 11th century was a major transfer point for so-called white slaves to the Muslim world. Note they use the word Muslim instead of more, okay? But we all know who they're talking about, right? Okay. With Rowan being the center for the selling of Irish and Flemish slaves. At the same time that France was a transfer point of slaves at the Muslim world, Italy was occupying with the same position. Venetians 
selling slaves and timber across the Mediterranean. The slaves were usually Slavs. Let me read it again. The slaves were usually Slavs brought across the Alps. Venetians were the earliest successful Italian sea traders, and because profits on slave trade with the Muslims were lucrative, they resisted efforts to stop them. Turn for their exports of timber, iron, and white slaves. They brought in oriental luxury products, mainly fine cloth. The stereotype from established consensus history is of the Muslim slaver herding chain so-called blacks through the desert. In fact, for 700 years until the fall of Muslim Spain, or Moorish Spain, those being herded were first and foremost overwhelmingly white. You got it? I'll read this again. The stereotype from establishment consensus history is of the Muslim slaver herding chain so-called blacks through the desert. In fact, in fact, for several for seven hundred years until the fall of Moorish I'm gonna say Moorish Spain, of Moorish Spain, those being herded were first and foremost overwhelmingly so-called white. Before the 10th century, the Muslims generally bought Christian Europeans as slaves. Start it again. Before the 10th century, the Muslims generally bought Christian Europeans as slaves. By the 10th century, Slavs became the most numerous imported group during the late Middle Ages until the fall of Granada in the late 15th century. Most Slavs and the, of the Moors were Christians from the northern kingdoms. In the vast lands of Eastern Europe, steps from the 8th of the 12th century, there was a well-developed slaving network, Slavs and Finns, called Sasquatoba, slaves, and discriminated by Moors. Entered, entered the Moors world, Moors world by the Caspian Sea and Black Sea routes. The fate of the hundreds of thousands of uh, white slaves sold to the Arabs was described as one Spanish as atrocious, most atrocious and harsh. These men were worked to death as, as galley slaves. The women, girls, and boys was used as prostitutes. This is what's been going on. It says here, according to the Oxford Dictionary, the word slave is another name for white people of Eastern Europe, the Slavs. I repeat, I repeat. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word slave is another name for white people of Eastern Europe called Slav. Didn't I mention that earlier in the blog talk show? Yes, I did. 
Let me move along here. It says here, the English historian William Cobbett stated in 1836, the starving agricultural laborers of southern England were all worse off than American Negroes. Those of you want to believe that? You can? Don't. Says here, the letter P stood for a word which had already acquired its lasting stigma, proper. Hmm. So this is what I'm talking about, true history. None nobody fabricated or, or lied or made up, you know. But it's at your own discretion whether you believe it or not. It says here, the history of enslavement in America as portrayed, okay, the history of enslavement in America as portrayed in the tunnel vision of the corporate media has focused exclusively on the enslavement of so-called blacks or Negroes. The impression is given that only uh, so-called whites bear responsibility for enslaving so-called Negroes, and only Negroes were slaves. In fact, so-called Negroes in Africa, as well as American tribe, uh, American so-called Indian tribes, such as the Cherokee, engaged in extensive enslavement of <coughs> so-called Negroes. That's also true. The Cherokee, but the Cherokee were Moors. That's the part they don't tell you. So they're trying to get you to see that that uh, they were. Uh, uh, some of them were. Some of them were Moors. Some of them look like the Indians that uh, that they show you on television and in the movies. But the but the Cherokee. No, the Cherokee, so-called Cherokee Indians, were Moors as well. Says here, the Cherokee Indians owned large plantations on which they worked. They are Negro slaves and gangs. Says here, read the book Red Over Black, Slavery, among the Cherokee Indians. Okay? Says here, so-called white slaves were actually owned by Negroes and Indians in the South. I'm going to read this again. This is a documented history. Listen. White slaves were actually owned by Negroes and Indians in the South to such an extent that the Virginia Assembly passed the following law in 1670. This was only in Virginia. But the rest of, uh, of the ten states, other Confederate states of America, uh, Moors owned slaves. Okay, it is enacted that no Negro or Indian, though baptized or enjoyed their own freedom, shall so here shall be capable of any such purchase of Christian. Like I told you before, they always identify Christians of being Europeans. 
They always use Christianity and Europeans as both synonymous terms. Okay? It says, hey, I'm going to read that again. Read it again. It says here, it is enacted that no Negro or Indian through baptized and enjoy their own freedom shall be capable of any such purchase of Christians. Okay? It says here, during the War of 1812, the British ranks included approximately 300 armed American so-called Negroes who were used in combat against American forces. They called them, that's when they started taking our birthright away from us. American forces. Can you get that? But we are the Aborigine indigenous autonomous Americans, but they want to call them Americans. If you read the book, read uh, Northwestern's book, 1828 edition, it will show you quite clearly that the copper, the various copper-colored races were the original Americans. When the European people first came upon these shores, they found that the original Americans were the various copper-colored races. But now the title is pertaining to the European people. Birthright theft. Birthright theft at its best. Some of these so-called Negroes helped the British burn the White House in 1814. They burned it down to asunder. How many of you know that the White House at, at uh, Washington, D.C. is not the original White House? That was burned down in the War of 1812. It says here in small print, a few so-called blacks fought on the side of the American Americans during the Revolution, including some Massachusetts Negroes known as Bucks of America. The claim has been made that the first victim of the British in the American Revolutionary was a black. <laughs> and it was a boar. Crispus Attucks. In fact, Attucks was, was an Indian a descendant of John Attucks and Natico, who had battled American pioneers in King Philip's War. Now, you know the Natico are Moors, but it goes to show you Michael A. Hoffman II, a European writer. So it goes to show you how much we need to study our culture and history, because even a lot of these European writers and authors, they will confuse you. They think we don't know that the Nanako was a Moorish national tribe or Aboriginal indigenous people of this country. Better learn how to read between the lines, boys. Still, book I refer you to get to have a part of your library, though. says here, poor so-called whites had to be drafted into the Confederate Army and in the North, where resistance to conscription 
was widespread. Many southern, so-called southern whites saw the conflict as a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. Indeed, any slaveholder owning 20, owning 20, owning 20 or more so-called black slaves was exempt from military combat. The official papers of the so-called white slave, adult white slaves as freight, and wild child slaves were termed as half freight, like any other com- commodity of the shipping and inventories. So-called white human beings were seen strictly in terms of market economics by merchants. Says here, the colonies were plentifully supplied with so-called Negro and Christian servants, which are the nerves and sinews of the plantation. Christian was a a human uh, 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 related for so-called white people, as I said earlier. We call here a feminism for white, because they always were both synonymous terms. But they use the term Negro instead of more. Then you had Moors, then you had Negroes. I would suggest you read uh, Jose Pimienta Bay's book, uh, Othello's Children in the West. I didn't like the title of the book, but uh, uh, you need to go and get that book. Very informative book, dealing with um, status as Negroes colored black or more. These were statuses, not identities. Says here, hundreds of thousands of whites in colonial America were owned outright by their masters and died in slavery. They had no control over their own lives and were auctioned on the block and examined like livestock, exactly like so-called black slaves, with the exception that these white slaves were enslaved by their own race. Like I explained earlier, a lot of them sold a lot of them to the more slave masters. Especially their women. And a lot of the slave trade, during the slave trade, a lot of slaves were shipped across from the Americas, across, I mean, from the Americas across the Atlantic to Europe and Africa. It was the other way around at first. Then later on, they started grabbing a few, a few people from Africa, and most of them landed on in the South American continent, because the waters were too rough for them to cross straight from Africa to the America to the North American continent. So they had to take a different route. If I had a, if I had a show and I had a map, I could show you what I'm talking about. That's why they call it the Atlantic slave trade, but in the African slave trade. If you've noticed, that's that's the term they use now.
say it's here, the Virginia Company. The Virginia Company, which was the company what it called the United States at first. The Virginia Company named after the Virgin Queen of England. Those of you that didn't know, I uh, know that those of you who do know, after the Virgin Queen of England, called uh, that's why they call it Virginia. The Virginia Company arranged with the city of London to have 100 poor so-called white children out of the swarms that swarms in the place sent to Virginia in 1619 for the sale of wealthy planters in the colony to be used as slave labor. The Privy Council of London authorized the Virginia Company to imprison, punish, and dispose of any of those children upon or any disorder of them committed as cause shall require. The term indentured servitude, therefore, is nothing more than a propagandistic softening up of the historic experience of enslaved European people in order to make a false distinction between their sufferings and those of so-called Negro slaves. A lot of these European children, uh, the 10,000 so-called whites, were kidnapped from England in the year 1670 along History of the United States, Volume 2, by Edward Channing. History of the United States, Volume 2, page 369. The very, the very word kidnapper was first coined in Britain in the 1600s to describe those who captured and sold white children into slavery. At that time, it was known as kidnappers. Kidnappers. K-I-D hyphen A-N hyphen N-A-B-B-E-R-S. Kidnappers. That's where the word kidnap comes from. That's where it originated. That's where the word kidnap originated from. From the kidnapping of European children from England to be slaves here in America. So this is the story has been told. You know, you want to get the book, I, I, I suggest you to get the book. Uh, again, I suggest you. I suggest you get the book. They were white and they were slaves. The untold story of the enslavement of whites in early America by Michael A. Hoffman II. And you might mind getting the book called Black Slave Owners. Black Slave Owners says, free black slave masters in South Carolina from from uh, uh, 1790 to 1860. Okay, by Larry Coger. L A R R Y K O G E R. Larry Coger. And you will also get the book uh, also called White Cargo The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America by Don Jordan and Michael Wash. And another book of interest you want to get. White Slaves, African Masters. Say it again. White Slaves, African Masters. By a Paul Bapler. 
author's name. Okay? And his last book, but most, uh, you get here called Black Property Owners in the South, 1790-1915. I repeat, Black Property Owners in the South, 1790-1915, by Lauren Schwaminger. By Lauren, by Lauren Schwaminger. Okay, I guess he's German. These will be a book of interest. Uh... It deals with the topic I was talking to you tonight. So it's almost time for me to hang it up. I hope I've, uh, those of you listen tonight, I hope I have a love, enough uh, listeners tonight that will listen to me, listen to me what I was uh, trying to tell them and everything. And I hope it was very informative. I don't mean to insult anyone. I don't mean to, you know, all I, all I mean is to educate, but but a little I have been educated with. Until then, as I say tonight, Bawasama Dakunda, peace family. Ate Washita East. May my spirit and your spirit spring forth the Jaguar. Peace.